You're listening to the sermon podcast of Galveston Bible Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit galvestonbible.org. But mostly, from wherever you're listening, we hope that the Lord ministers to you through this week's message. Singleness, the gift that most people want to return or waste. But in the passage we look at today, that's exactly what singleness is called, a gift. But like everything else in scripture, we oftentimes underappreciate what God has given us. Even within the church, singleness is treated as a sign of immaturity or incompleteness, where one is sent to wander off until they finally get married. And in the culture we live in, has an even worse interpretation of singleness. In one extreme, it is exploited to enjoy every sense of pleasure, or, and in the other, it is used to secretly pine away for marriage. So let us look at scripture today to see how God directs those who are single and what that can also mean for those of you who are married. We know he does this um, through the primary example of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, who in his life here on earth, remained single, focused on what mattered in eternity, things that ultimately matter to God. Since through Christ's undivided devotion, we have been set free from the power of sin and death, then we now being made new should seek to be focused on what matters in eternity. We will be addressing this today in light of singleness. The portion of scripture that we'll be in will be in 1 Corinthians 7. We'll hit verses 6 6 to 9 and then go on to verse 25 to 38. We will first be addressing what singleness is not. Then we'll talk about the correct perspective of singleness and finally touch on what singleness is. So if you guys could turn there. In the passages that we're about to read, Paul is addressing a church that struggles with sexual immorality. Oftentimes, we can distance ourselves from the sin struggles of those in Scripture. However, the truth is, we are all affected by sin. So just because you may not struggle with your sexual desires, that does not make you better than those we are about to read of in these verses. For all sin is offensive to God. So we are only made right through Jesus. Now, looking at 1 Corinthians 7, we see Paul address those who are single and give his counsel regarding it. He starts off in verse 6. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, in the same chapter, this is the second time that Paul mentions this, so he's repeating himself from verses 1 to 2, where he says something similar. In both sets of verses, he says that it is good for a person to remain single and to not get married. So that means that no one should be pressured into getting married. It also means that just because someone either chooses to stay single or is currently single, that there is something wrong with them. But oftentimes, that's not the way people view marriage. Single people especially tend to have this mentality that the sole purpose of their singleness is to get married. However, a single person chasing after marriage to ultimately satisfy them is just like anything else in the world. We know that God created marriage, but, it was, but marriage is not meant to be worshipped. 
One of the ways that this manifests is when you are upset or even angry at God that you are single. You may think to yourself, why can't I be like them? Why can't I get married? What is wrong with me? Let me ask you, has entertaining those thoughts given you any more joy or peace? The prophet Isaiah reminds us that those who worship the things that God created aren't benefited by the idols that they make. It is the same when it comes to someone who pines away from marriage because you honestly believe that the only reason that you are single is to get married. There is no other purpose to your singleness. Let me reassure you today that scripture is clear, that God has a much greater purpose in mind because marriage, just like everything else in this world, even though it is created by God, isn't meant to ultimately satisfy you. But Jesus is. So your singleness is not about getting married. It also definitely does not help to tell single people things like, oh, I can't wait till you find someone to complete you. Comments like this, though it may come from a place of love and care and wanting, to, wanting the other person to experience the same blessing that marriage has been for you, sadly leaves people feeling broken and sets them chasing after marriage to satisfy them over Christ. In the end of the day, it comes down to the individual's heart, but we as believers are called to love one another well. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Marriage is a wonderful thing given to us by God, but marriage does not complete us. Christ does. A person's relationship with Christ is the most important relationship they will ever have. Oftentimes, our desire for marriage can blind us to the point that we count it count on it to ultimately satisfy us. But that is a huge burden to put on your spouse. I mean, think about the woman that Jesus met at the well. She got married and divorced five times. Do you think any of those five marriages really satisfied her? So Jesus offers this woman what he offers to us all, and that is himself. We are to be satisfied first and foremost in Jesus. Those who are married love each other out of being satisfied in Christ's love. Similarly, in light of the love of Jesus, Paul reminds us what our response is to be. In Romans 12, verses 1 to 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice how Paul in his letter to the Romans is addressing everyone in the church, not just single people, but all people. We are all called to live in view of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We do this by laying down our very lives to follow Jesus. We also do this by plugging ourselves into his word and letting go of what we think we know and accepting what the Bible says is true. Now, looking back at 1 Corinthians 7, we see Paul continue to address singleness and he tells those who are single that it is better for them to be married than to burn with passion. Now here, Paul, now here Paul is referring to our God-given sexual desires and how because we live in sinful bodies and in a sinful world, we as single people can struggle with the temptation to commit sexual immorality or to use sex or the idea of sex outside of the bounds of marriage. To those people, Paul counsels that it is better that they get married. 
Now, please don't hear what Paul is not saying. Just because you get married, the temptation doesn't go away. But marriage offers a healthy place to express your sexual desires in a healthy way. If you are single, so if you are single or married, you are called to surrender your desires to God and to grow in self-control. As Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2 reminds us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set out, that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here, the author of Hebrews is calling people to lay aside everything that gets in the way of following Jesus. Even good things, like the desire to get married, if that becomes what you want most in life and it hinders your relationship with Christ, the Bible calls you to lay it aside, to pursue a deep, intimate relationship with Christ first. Now, following back along in 1 Corinthians 7, picking up in verse 25 and ending off in 28, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. So Paul starts off this new section by addressing those who are betrothed or engaged and says that he has no command for them from the Lord. Now this is intentional on Paul's part as we read that he does the same thing in, earlier in verses 6 to 9. That Paul desired that all were single as he was, but in both sets of verses he's clear in saying that this is not a command from the Lord. He says this because in all the Gospels, you won't find a single command from God that all are to remain single. But Paul offers singleness as a viable option. He then goes on to encourage each believer to remain as they are, meaning if, you, if you're married, you should stay married. That's Paul's preference for, that's Paul's um, counsel for, meaning if you're married, you should stay married. That's Paul's preference for singleness, um, that Paul's preference for singleness does not mean that he wants you to divorce. And if you are single or even engaged, he believes that it is best for you to remain single. But if you do decide to get married, you have done nothing wrong. You have the freedom to choose. And he ends off this section by saying that those who are married deal with a lot of worldly troubles. Paul here also doesn't mean that just because you're single, that means your life is easy. I mean, his life certainly wasn't. In more than one occasion, Paul has recorded how he has been beaten so many times, shipwrecked so many times, and still tempted in his flesh. So the single life is not a carefree life. But at the same time, when he compares the struggles of a single person to the married person, he makes it clear that those who are married have a lot more worldly struggles to deal with. So what does that mean for us? Oftentimes, when single people look at marriage, they tend to have an unrealistic worldview of what marriage is really like. When you make the covenantal commitment of marriage, you are committing your whole self to the other person. And this is a beautiful picture of how Christ has loved his church. 
At the same time, however, you commit yourself to love the other person, especially when the other person makes it so hard for you to love them. Those of you, those of you who are married know what I'm talking about, that there are a lot of difficult things that you have to deal with. After a few years, you start to begin to realize what it really takes to sacrificially love someone as Christ has loved his church. So it's not a cakewalk. We know this as many marriages have ended in divorce. Now, why am I telling you this? Am I trying to talk you out of getting married? Absolutely not. Marriage can be enjoyable even though it does take a lot of work. But each person has a different calling in life. Most of you who are single will likely get married and that is your calling in the Lord. For some of you who are single, you are called to remain single. If not for your life, then for a season of your life. And in that time, you will not know the same com complex and busy world that your married friends do live in. This, however, is not an occasion for those of you who are married to envy those who are single, because that commitment that you have made before God affords you, us, affords you to a certain extent greater emotional and relational security than a single person. It is also not an opportunity for single people to flaunt their freedom in front of those who are married. But understanding the commitment that the Bible is calling married people to make and loving them, even if they can't always make it to all the things that you do. So now that we've talked about the fact that singleness is not about pursuing marriage because marriage does not complete people, only Christ does, let's see the perspective we are to have leading to the very purpose of singleness. So let's go ahead and continue in from verse 29 in 1 Corinthians 7, and we'll stop at verse 31. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. So the perspective that we are to have of singleness is one that says that Jesus will come back. This is not a new idea in scripture. Jesus himself said he would return. So the first time he came to earth, he came to save the world by dying on the cross for our sins. But when he returns, he is coming to judge the whole world. And no one except for God the Father knows when Jesus is to return. So Jesus could return any second now and we would all have to answer for our lives if we believed in Jesus or not. This is the biggest reason there's such an urgency for the gospel to be shared all over the world. It is with this in mind that Paul goes on to say that those who have wives should live as though they had none, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who buy as though they have no dealings with the world. Paul here is not at all saying that you should abandon your spouse, but considering the fact that Jesus is coming back to leverage your marriage and your family to spread the message of the gospel, because everything else that you may want to make your marriage about, that you may want to make your family life about, isn't going to last forever. Now, I am not saying that the two of you shouldn't take time to invest in each other's lives and your family, but that the overall goal of your marriage should be to let the world know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. Paul then goes on to talk about two very opposite emotions, one of rejoicing and one of mourning. To both he says 
that we are to live as if we were not. By this, he means that, the, that your purpose in life is not to live for the milestones you celebrate over or to endure through the heartbreaks you weep over, whether that's graduating or failing out of school, whether it's getting married or getting divorced, whether that's being married for 30 years or being a widow for 30 years. These things, while God does care about you, are not the reason that you are alive. Even though the feelings of sadness or happiness may be overwhelming, you are called to look to God as your foremost pursuit in life. As the psalmist says in Psalms 121, verse 1 to 2, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Because as Paul himself says in the end, of this passage, that the present form of this world is fading away. So just like marriage, we are called to leverage even these moments to spread the good news of Jesus. The same applies for everything you buy as well. How? By not being consumed by everything in this world that you forget that our greatest joy and satisfaction is in Jesus. This right here is what Paul says right before he addresses singleness, which implies that this is the perspective that he wants single people to have, to focus on what is eternally important. So Paul picks up here in verse 32, um, addressing the purpose of singleness by saying, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. So in light of the fact that we live in a world where everything is passing away, Paul desires for us as believers not to be so caught up in this present world because simply put, it's not going to last. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul sums up the troubles that we face in this life as light momentary afflictions in face of the eternity that we will experience with God. He then, back in 1 Corinthians 7, goes on to say that the unmarried man or woman, in light of that, has only one primary objective, and that is to please the Lord. Now, if you're here and you're single, let me ask you, is that true of your life? Because Paul here also isn't advocating that people are to remain single so they can maximize their personal freedom in relation to their married friends. Earlier, when we looked at um, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, we had said that though marriage is good, it is not your primary pursuit in life. The same applies to the freedom you have as a single person. If you are choosing to remain single, Ask yourself, why are you remaining single? Is it to fulfill the purpose that God is calling you to fulfill, to have an undivided devotion to the Lord? Or is it really because you don't really like the idea of getting married and you just want to make your life as easy as possible? Or is it because you secretly love something else more than God that you don't really want to submit to his direction in your life? Or is it because you're afraid of marriage? afraid of commitment, afraid you won't measure up to be the godly um, husband or wife that God is calling you to be. And in the end, afraid you'll mess up. Let me assure you 
that the Bible is full of inadequate people who love other things more than God, who want to do what they want with their lives over what God has called them to do, who are afraid that they wouldn't be good enough to do what God has called them to do. Yet we see that these are the kind of people that God calls to follow him. In our relationship with God, God is the perfect one. Us, we're far from perfect, but we serve a God who, as the psalmist says, remembers that we are weak and frail or dust in comparison to him. So we don't ever need to worry about measuring up. God already knows that we can't. So he sent us his perfect son, Jesus, and now all who believe in him are made right with God. Back in 1 Corinthians 7, picking up where we left off in verse 33, Paul then goes on to say that the married man or woman's primary objective is loving their spouse out of their love for the Lord. So this is why Paul prefers, if we were single, not to restrict anyone from what God is calling them to do, because both marriage and singleness are from the Lord but instead to be devoted to the Lord. The person who is single has more opportunity available to them in this season of singleness or life of singleness to serve the Lord. The purpose of singleness is to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. So maybe the reason you're frustrated with your season of singleness is because you're so busy chasing after the next thing that you think will satisfy you that you've missed out on on God's purpose for your singleness. And lastly, Paul closes out by recapping some of his points from earlier in 1 Corinthians 7, now picking up in verse 36 and closing out in verse 38. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. And so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So in the end, Paul gives the choice to the individual Christian whether to marry or not, saying for some it is better to do so and for others it's better to remain single. In the end, each must seek to do as God has called them to do and to seek to honor God in that calling. Those who are single are called to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. So what does that look like? It means leveraging the freedom that you do have and the responsibilities that are entrusted to you for the glory of God and for spreading the gospel. It can mean having that conversation with your fellow classmate or coworker or friend about the gospel and inviting them to a deeper relationship with Jesus. As a single person, you can leverage your additional time in investing in people when others may be otherwise busy with godly obligations. It can further mean that you could consider coordinating resources and getting involved in local nonprofits or worldwide missions. Now, speaking to the whole church, I just want all of us to reflect on this one last thought as we close out. Isn't it amazing that we as children of God can trust God in the season that he has us in because of what Jesus did for us on the cross? Our whole lives are changed when we encounter him. So now we are no longer under the immense debt of sin. Let's not waste this season thinking or overthinking about the next one or regretting a previous one because at the end of the day, our lives just aren't about us but about God. So we can praise God for the current season of life that we are in all the more.
As Paul says in Philippians 4.11, in a different context, but it's still applicable to us, that we are to be content in him. So whether you are single or not, in the end, when it's all said and done, you're going to see that, the, that only one thing really mattered in life, and that is Jesus and how you lived for or against him. Let's close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, I thank you for this opportunity that we have to look at your word and to reflect on your truth. I pray that no matter um, what anyone in here may be going through or dealing with, that you, Lord, would um, encourage them that you've got this, that you are in perfect control, that there's nothing that they need to ever worry about or fret over, that they can trust you in everything in any season that they're in, that you are still sovereign, that you are still in charge. We thank you, all these, we thank you for all these things. In your name we pray, amen.